0: welcome back everyone i am so excited to bring you a guest today that i spoke to a while back and i'm like oh so good i've got to bring her story to all of you her name is Rahale masri she is the creator of violent men she's a writer an actor and director she is based in new york And prior to writing and hosting the Violent Femme podcast, the majority of her work has actually been in theater. And she is an actor, director, she's worked in more than 30 productions and the list goes on and on and on. She was born in Iran and raised in South Carolina and had some stints in France. So. Her story is going to be one of those. You know me, you know me well at this point that there is is so much here to unpack and hear about and it kind of hits the root of some of our biggest fears. This episode is brought to you by the Fired Up Entrepreneur Program. And this is a program that we are so proud of. The results have been downright remarkable. And we want to invite you to get a glimpse of what it is like inside this program by inviting you to participate in the Business boot camp, which is a five-day free event. And get involved with this because the pearls that we're gonna be sharing each and every day, are going to be the foundation for allowing you to make money keep the money grow the money and strengthen not only your business but also yourself so please take advantage of this and join us at our next boot camp you're listening to the silver lined relaunch and i'm your host Hilary de caesar award-winning entrepreneur and transitional coach Each week, I'll invite you to tune into inspirational stories revealing how you too can turn ordinary experiences into the extraordinary. Feeling stuck? I'll share step-by-step strategies to fuel your ability to experience a life where silver linings are both abundant and possible. Rahale, welcome, welcome to the Silver Line Relaunch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I always like to start out with having you give an overview of you, what has been part of this journey, and then leading into what is your most significant relaunch?
1: Yeah, so as you said, I was born in Iran, and when I was about six six years old, um, there was a revolution there. And so, my father, who had already been working with Europe, um, sort of got some advice from people he'd been working with. They said, eh, you know, you need to get out of the country now. And we were fortunate enough to be able to. A lot of people could not. And so, we actually got out before the Shah fell um, because he had some forewarning. And we got up and moved to first Charlotte, North Carolina. And then what a change, what a change is that, right? All <laughs> right. How old were you at that point? I had just, I think I had just turned seven when we um, got to the States because we went to London first. And, um, and as I said, my dad was already familiar with, you know, he spoke English and he'd been working uh, with people in Switzerland at the time. And he had a friend who had, um, gone to school, gone to college in North Carolina and was in Charlotte. And he said, well, why don't you come over here? And so that's where we went.
0: (laughs) You go from where you were to showing up at age seven. So you remember all of this.
1: Yes. And it was, you know, I learned English very quickly. I learned English in like three months, but I also, had a that's father truly,
0: that's truly immersive right you're like <laughs> well you know, i had no choice
1: <laughs> nobody spoke farsi so not in charlotte north carolina and you have to understand charlotte north carolina right now is a financial center it's a bit it's a fairly large city right now but this was god this was like 40 years ago so it was not what it is today it was it was like a very small
0: country town. I don't know if it was country, but still, (laughs) but a lot, but a lot smaller. It was definitely not what it is today.
1: No. And, um, and, you know, my mother was very young. My mother was about 24 and my father was only 30 at the time. So um, and I had a younger sister, so I was the eldest and my father was was a businessman and he was a pretty successful businessman. That's why we were able to get out of the country. And so he traveled a lot. And so I was there with my mother who didn't speak any English and I had to be her translator and her guide. And, um, you know, so I grew up there and um, eventually went to school in Washington, DC. And I lived in Washington, DC for a long time, but I was, I think because of that initial um, geopolitical instability that shaped my life, I really wanted to study international affairs and that's what I did at first. And I got an undergrad degree in that and went to work at the French embassy in Washington DC because I spoke French because we had also lived on and off in France and Switzerland sometimes. So I spoke French and I got this job. And after about four years, I thought, okay, well, I know where this is going. I'm going to be a diplomat and this, but I, what I really want to do is to to do theater. Because when I had been in college, I had been introduced to it and taken some classes. And it was something that I was
0: deep down. You were like, okay, my passion is that I want to be in theater. I want to be an actor. I want to be on stage. Yes. Not in, into, in, you know, international affairs.
1: Well, I wanted both really. And that's why once I got it, once I left my job and started doing theater, I just gravitated towards very political theater. I also loved being in Washington, DC. You know, there was a, there was a moment when I moved to LA, but that just wasn't right for me. I stayed maybe six months and I realized that And I had an agent and everything. I just didn't like the feeling that I had there and what I had to really desire to be successful there, which I did not have. I wanted to, in a way, express myself in order to affect change in some way. So um, I went back to DC. in
0: In the political landscape, that's where you were like, oh, I gotta do something with theater in that?
1: Yes, because that was my language and that was what made me happiest. Like once I went into theater, I realized that being able to express myself in that way was very cathartic for me and something that I had needed. I was, you know, because of the way I grew up and the experiences that I had, I have always felt like I was fighting for something. Um, You know, my father despite the fact that he modeled, you know, everything that you preach, the silver lining re- relaunch, he's always able to reinvent himself or or restart. You know, he's had so many successful businesses and, but all, also failed a bunch of times and would build it back up to even greater heights each time. And so he modeled that for me and I was, I had a lot of expectations put on me, but I was not allowed to fail. And that's actually something
0: <laughs> really interesting because he failed in businesses and then learned from those experiences, came back and continued to grow. But as his daughter, were you the only child?
1: No, no, no. I had a younger sister. And then when I was 15, my parents, same parents as me, <laughs> had two more kids that twins.
0: Oh my god. So you know a boy
1: and a girl. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Whoa. All
1: oh, right. and can you imagine my mother was 33 at the time when she had the twins because she'd had me so young, but I thought, oh my God, what is my mother doing? She's so old and she's having kids. So but, old nowadays it's like, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of an norm. I had I have one child. I had my child at 42. <laughs>
0: Okay, exactly. That's the norm. It's not, you know, the young, young anymore. Um, Okay, so you weren't allowed to fail. And what's interesting is I know our listeners are saying, you know, wow, you've already had some pretty impactful relaunches, you moving out of your, you know, home country you coming to the States, you going from international affairs to acting to then, you know, really trying to merge the two together, which you did successfully, but that's not even the most significant relaunch, the one that we're going to be moving into now. Can you share how this all evolved? So
1: um, I went from acting to directing and I felt like I had found my home and just real groove in life. I was happy and I was I felt like I'd accomplished something. And at that time, when I felt like I had a handle on everything, um, I was stalked. And this was someone, it was not somebody that I really knew because I know that a lot of women are stalked by people they knew they know, but this was someone I had been acquainted with like five years before. And um, and
0: in the, the it, it school, was that at no. school or was that at your job or was that in the theater? No, it was, I. it's hilarious,
1: but um, for my father's, I don't know which, it was a big birthday. I can't remember. It must've been 65 or six. I don't know what, which birthday it was, but I wanted to play a song. My father loves music and um, and there's this song that he used to sing when we were little that went like we had joy we had fun we had seasons in the of sun course. that's what it's called <laughs> so, so don't get me started <laughs> so i'm a performer but i'm not a singer or a musician and so but i thought okay i'm gonna learn how to play this song on the guitar and i'm gonna sing myself so- my dad this song for his birthday and so i started taking some guitar lessons and um And pretty quickly, I think I took like one or two lessons, I realized that this guy was kind of creepy. And so I stopped. And then this was five years later and I had just directed a show. I was walking out of the theater during a preview, right after a preview. And um, I saw this guy, but I didn't, you know, it's like one of those things, I didn't really remember the entire context of how i knew him i just said hi oh yeah and then um and then but but i realized it eventually but i didn't remember that i had felt creeped out by him in any way i just remembered that i knew him and i had taken some guitar lessons from him and so i said hi and um he was very surprised to see me he's like what are you doing here i thought directors weren't here when once the show opens. And I said, well, it hasn't opened, it's in previews and we still working on it. Anyway, so he started emailing me and um, eventually it got to like 20 emails a day and then it became um, very uncomfortable. And at the beginning though, I was laughing about it. And I remember I was in rehearsals for another play after that and um, where I was acting and I was with other actors. And we would look at these emails and laugh about them. And then one of my very close friends said, you know, you're not going to be laughing when you end up dead in a river. So you need to do something about this.
0: Uh, and so, right, it's yeah, very, yeah, stuck that, That's a little bit of a, a change right there, right? That That throws you down a different path. But at this point, had you had you heard about other people that had stalkers or was this kind of like at an earlier stage or because now today it seems like there's a lot of stories about this coming out is it just that we're now this was like
1: 11 years ago um and yeah i think there were stories i i knew what stalking was and in fact once i went to the police um because i lived you know in washington dc you have Washington D.C. and you have Maryland and Virginia and a lot of people live on the border in Maryland or Virginia and I lived in Alexandria, Virginia, and um, and so did he. He lived in my neighborhood, and so I went to the police and they tried to scare him by going to his place of business, and that didn't work. And so um, the police actually uh, recommended that I file the complaint in Washington D.C. because they have. A lot of public figures in Washington, D.C., they have better stalking laws. So I did that. Um, so and let me ask
0: you, how long did this go on before you're like, okay, before that person said, hey, you know, this is all fun and games until you wind up dead? How long did it take to get to that point where you're like, wait a second, this is not feeling right? This has gone one step too far.
1: I would say a couple of months. And then the next three, two or three months, I was pursuing it because um, it just kept escalating. And, um, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that um, the police officer in Virginia gave me was do not ever respond, not even to respond negatively. Because once with that kind of personality, if you respond after even 95 emails, they, the thing that goes off in their head is that, oh, all I need to do is send 95 emails and then she'll respond.
0: And first got, let me ask this. When you first got that first email, did you respond?
1: Yeah, no, we were. So at the beginning, he was emailing me. I was emailing him back because I was just he donated money to a theater I worked with. Um, He asked me to be a judge in a Battle of the Bands situation where and I thought, okay, well, this is how the world works. He donates to my theater. I judge this Battle of the Bands. I was just engaging with another human being in a polite, civilized way. I didn't you know, I didn't expect to later then get, um, you know, these
0: inappropriate emails. Did they start to cross the line? They were
1: delusional. Sometimes there were, there was violent language. And then the next one would be like, I'm so sorry. I, you know, they also revealed that he was doing a lot of things that, you know, like I speak French, I speak Farsi, I speak Italian. He was learning all my, because there was a lot of public information because I was in theater in Washington, DC. I had lots of articles about me in the Washington Post and uh, other you know, online outlets and other local papers. Um, and so he had a lot of information on me and was using that to try to get my attention. Um, ultimately- so you,
0: take it, so you take it to DC, the police there, cause they have the stalking laws. And then what happened?
1: um nothing that was satisfactory in my opinion i did get a temporary restraining order but then i had to go to court to get a permanent restraining order and you know um but it was it was very nerve-wracking and emotionally debilitating for me to have to go into a courtroom with him and feel very clearly that he was enjoying that he was getting me to come into this room and um, he was he had a lawyer and I brought a lawyer and um, he was fighting to be able to go to my shows which I told the judge like well this just shows you that he's a stalker because there are 500 why does he have to come to my shows and it turned out I didn't even know um, we checked the records of a lot of the theaters where I'd worked and it, he had been coming for five years and sitting in the dark and it's funny because another person said to me yeah he would have been probably he would have not come out of the dark if you had not seen him that first that night when you were when walking in."
0: I didn't know the yeah. doctors or
1: anything mm-hmm.
0: So when you finally are in front of this judge and you're sitting here you're having to defend yourself you're saying you know he's the stalker he's doing all this how long did it take for it, that to be and then what happened what was um, the final like where so is the, he right?
1: the first um I think after the second time it had to be rescheduled another time and um I think it had something to do with the judge, Um, but eventually I gave up. I did not wanna go into the courtroom anymore. I particularly, I know these things seem small, but in the moment they seem huge. I was very shaken that I had to go into family court. Like this was where the divorces happened. And I thought, well, why, I I don't, this is not anybody I know. This is not my family. I'm not trying to, and that was a little disturbing i you know even little things like raising your hand to say i do it felt like you know these are the words that people say in a wedding and i have to say these uh, <laughs> it, it's just crazy the emotional roller coaster that you go on and so i i decided that um, and to be I had gotten to a point where I say I was very happy in DC. I did feel like I wondered if there was more I could do elsewhere or in another realm. And I had wanted to write. And I had, I had been a writer before um, because when I worked at the French embassy, I was in the press office and I was into journalism before that. But, um, so I wanted to try my hand at writing and um, and I thought, you know what, I, I need to get away from all this. And so
0: I, but you're a public figure, you, you don't get away. Like I mean, there's others of us. But I was already canceling. I
1: was canceling any any. I did not take additional shows. I had one more that I had was committed to in the fall, and this was like summer. Um, I had been canceling all the smaller appearances, you know, like stage readings and things like that. I had, I was too scared to get on the stage. Even the shows that I did do, I remember at one theater they had security and they had the guy in the sec- at security had a picture of the guy so that they wouldn't allow him in. And so,
0: Rahali, is he still out there?
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I don't want a name. I don't want to.
0: Oh, no, I'm not asking. You I have name. no idea. And you haven't seen him in how long? Or no, no I before? left. I left
1: the city. I left D.C. I'll tell you, let me. There's one more thing that happened. Um, I left D.C. and I went off. I was traveling for a while writing and then I had to come back and do this one show, which was an all female Shakespeare, um, Julius Caesar. And I was playing Mark Antony. And about five minutes on the last, and I decided, you know, I don't have a restraining order anymore. The temporary one had expired. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back and I'm going to see if I can live my life in D.C. and forget about this and forget about this guy and see if it just goes away. And so I did the whole run of the show. And on the last night, it is about five minutes before I'm about to go on. And people, all the ladies in the dressing room were talking about who might be there. And this one girl said a name and she said, oh, that sounds familiar. I saw it on the list. And I was like, I just went white. I slid down the wall and I told them. And uh, it turned out that he had been going around Facebook friending anybody that I worked with. And so that's why she had heard the name. And so one of the other actresses went to the lobby and she told them what was going on and um, the theater, Called him over the intercom and asked him to leave. And still, it was because I was playing Mark Antony, who has a speech to the audience, you know, friends, Romans countrymen. <laughs> and so, even though I knew that they had taken him out of the theater, I was still looking for him, scared out there. And that's after that is when I really decided to move to New York because I thought, okay, where can I go and be an actress and still be anonymous? <laughs> so. I went to New York.
0: This is unbelievable. And so you now are in New York. You are, are you? So what
1: happened then is that I, um, I had an agent there and I was auditioning, but I was focusing on writing and my agent helped me with a play that I had written. And then I opened a kid's acting school. And then I also realized that I needed to have a kid myself if I was ever going to, because it was super duper late. And that's what eventually happened. And um, so I have a wonderful seven-year-old son now, and I was still, I had that kids acting school and, um, and I still did some things, but um, ultimately with a small child, it's very difficult to do theater. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, I stopped doing any theater. And around the pandemic, or just before it, I was feeling the desire to and the need to express myself again, was thinking about things. And then the pandemic hit and that's how the podcast came about because the violent femme, the the women that I um, the subjects of each episode, they, I started thinking about that, um, a while back in terms of maybe doing a one woman show or writing a play with these women in history who were very interesting to me. They were not always good women. They were villains. Sometimes they were, um, both villains and heroes. They, um, and they had committed some brutal acts and made mistakes. And when I thought about what I really wanna put out there in the world next, I thought, what, what, what is really important to me? And one of the things that's really important to me is for women, because I know that I've struggled with it. I know that even though I've taken a lot of risks in my life, I also feel like sometimes I'm risk averse. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes we change course because we're afraid to get really deep into the course that we're on, or if we come up against something that doesn't work in the, on the path that we're on. And so I've taken a lot of risks. And I think sometimes it's been because I didn't want to get through the nitty gritty of something. And I feel that men are often groomed in life to do great things and heroic things. And that's part of the reason we have a patriarchy and men have the power that women don't. And we have this issue with gender parity and that we really need to work towards. And I know that many people might not agree with me, but part of the reason that is I feel is because women are not conditioned to feel power or being that, or in any sense, groomed for power. Whereas men are, men are told they can make a lot of mistakes. The stories that they hear, you know, I'm a storyteller. So everything comes from that, but that's how everybody is conditioned is through stories.
0: I, I completely agree, but your story, it seems like it didn't have an end. It's still going. It's still like this guy's still out there somewhere. You have moved. You've moved on with your life. What do you say to people? And I, we, sh- I shared with you that I have somebody you know, intimate in my family who's had a stalking situation, and it it didn't get resolved. Seems like there, you know, there is this this problem out there that we as women cannot kind of like there isn't that end point i mean these people are making you live in fear you don't know what's going to happen um you don't know when they're going to show up as you said you're in the middle of you know the monologue and boom there you know they you hear that he's in there How, what do you recommend to people now that are going through this that potentially have somebody that they feel is stalking them? Well, I think it's different. I
1: mean, I think if there's any danger, I don't feel danger right now. I assume he's moved on with his life. I don't feel any danger. And, you know, that is, a. I guess the idea comes up sometimes. For instance, I was recently, you know, I was like down to me and another person for this show in New York city, which was a big show. And I thought this would be the first time that I really get on stage. I did one other time, but it was a long time ago um, in New York but it would, and something that was so public. And it was, you know, went in three times and the callbacks and everything. And there was, and I really wanted it. And I probably would have done it if I had gotten it, but I was thinking about this all the time. I was thinking, can I get back on stage? But on a day-to-day basis, I don't feel danger right now. And I think if you're in that place, if you feel relatively safe, I don't think that you can live your life in constant fear. And for me, I actually, I remember, and I still to this day, in a way, thank my stalker because I probably would not have my son if I had not left D.C. I would have just continued. And it's very hard to be an artist in this world and have a family, particularly if you're a woman. And um, everyone's
0: probably thinking like, where is Hillary going with this? Where's the silver <laughs> line? This is it, everybody. This is it. You course corrected. You have this amazing son you have been able to write you're very successful as a writer you're successful in everything you've done and it it did come about from you know having that that fear that came into you and you deciding to act on it I call it hell in the hallway where you're kind of in that place where you're like what do I do do I just keep shutting those doors keep going down. Eventually you hit a wall, right? Eventually there's a door you can't just keep going through, but you've, you've moved on and you've had this opportunity. I really, I, you know, it's interesting because again, we connected with the story and, you know, with people these days, especially with social media, especially with wanting to be vulnerable, putting yourself out there that people do feel like they really know you. They feel yeah. like they're That connection,
1: yeah, and this was even before, but there was enough information for somebody to feel that they were a part of my life. Um, there's you know, part of it is mental health, like he was clearly delusional in a lot of ways, and it was clear in some of the emails, but um, you can't remain a victim. And this is part of the reason I am doing what I'm doing now, is I feel that for women to feel powerful and have powerful, they can't stay a victim all the time. It is great for us to talk about how we have been victimized because that is true. But at some point, if we want to take control, we have to stop playing the victim and stop being the victim. And for me, you have to always see the silver lining and see what good could come out of
0: this. Absolutely. So share with us how people can find you. I know through the podcast, which is amazing. And what are you working on right now?
1: I'm working on more episodes right now. (laughs) I know what
0: you're saying. No,
1: I need to get more episodes out because mine take a long time. I have to write them and then record them. And then they go through a post-production, the composer and everything. It's like a mini movie each episode about these different women. And so, yeah, I have to do more.
0: Well, I will make sure that we, in the show notes, we have that link, Violent Femme. And you are- Absolutely incredible. From the moment I met you, I had a strong connection with you. Thank you for coming on, sharing the story. I know that it is, um, it brings up every time, every time I have to tell things from my past, it's like, Oh, there it is again. But you, you know, you get better and better and you, it's a little bit cathartic as you go through it. It really is. So I appreciate that so much. I always like, especially you being in the acting profession and, being around, you know, people that kind of know, I'm going to ask you the question. I know a lot of women love what beauty product is your, is your go-to right now that you absolutely love? This is
1: what I've loved for, I don't know how many years, at least 10, 15. um, Marula oil. I have I well, you know, when I was a teenager and in my early twenties, I got a lot of blemishes, and I would, you know, dry my face out like people usually do. And then I realized that I started first using almond oil. Now I use marula oil, um, but I used almond oil for about ten years, and then marula oil. And you know, is
0: there a brand of marula oil? Is this the, the one like I the use? Is Shea Terra,
1: Shea Terra Namibian marula oil, and the Terra so marula oil is used in Africa for to treat leather but African women have been using it because it also has some sun blocking uh qualities.
0: Very nice. Women, <laughs> make sure to put this as well and you know I'm male in Colorado so my skin is is like leather. <laughs> so this will be good. This will be good like for it. Me. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much uh Rahala. I mean, amazing. Amazing to talk to you. Loved having you on the show. We'll have everything in the show notes. And thank you. Thank you. It was so great talking to you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silver Lined Relaunch. If I said something today that resonated with you, will you please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review? And share this episode with others and help them find the silver linings as well. And don't forget, you can have immediate access to the show notes, any giveaways, and the links to those amazing beauty products at therelaunchco.com relaunchco.com podcast. Until next time, there's always a silver lining. And now is the time to hit the reset button to relaunch those transitions into transformations.